0: And the best part? You can try it yourself with their 7-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month.
1: Hey, what's happening? This is Snake from Skid Row, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is Donnie Hillier from Trauma, and you're
2: listening to Mark Striegel on Talking Metal. Horns up, headbangers. Awesome.
3: Presents Heavy Montreal, August 9th and 10th, outdoors at Parche jean
4: Propos, featuring mataka Slayer the Offspring performing Smash at Lamb of God. Festival passes on sale now. Visit HeavyMontreal.com, produced by FNCO.
3: Mark Striegel, John Astronomy, the Talking Metal Podcast, coming to you from the
4: Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly. And now, your hosts, Mark and John.
3: Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. We are here on the patio in Maplewood. John, Emily, how's everyone doing?
4: I'm doing great. Emily is doing great. Having some shrimp cocktail. I love it. Thanks for this food, Emily. Thank you so much, Emily. We have a great mic stand here that we're using. It looks like a cross between. Kevin Dubrow and Steven Tyler. And it's actually yours. And it's Emily. From the days of the Minx. Yes.
3: Uh, Emily em- and my wife used to sing in a band called The Minx. Maybe we should get into a little music by The Minx. Yes, right let's
4: now. hear some yeah. Minx. Then we'll get in and we'll tell you about what's going on. What's on iTunes the show. It's
3: by The Minx? Everything. Okay. We'll play a little Minx and you guys can pick it up on
4: iTunes. Tell us a little bit about The Minx. Who is in it? <laughs> Emily is in the middle of uh, cooking, but would love to have her tell us a little bit about The Minx. Run, that, run down the lineup.
5: Well, I sang. And KG was our lead guitarist. Nikki. Seven. Seven. Yes. A.K.A. Nikki Alcazar. Did I pronounce that right, Nikki? Um, who actually introduced me to Mark and knew Mark and John way right. before I did <laughs> was on rhythm guitar. We had a number of bass players and drummers, but my favorite bass player was Kurt Stevens.
3: And I don't know who's playing on this. This is called Stars. We'll play that one. Is that, is that cool? That's great, yeah. It's called Stars. It's on iTunes. Follow Emily on Twitter. We'll link that through today's show notes. Emily Striegel on Twitter. And, yeah, we mentioned the guests, right?
4: No, we didn't. Oh, but we, didn't. we have a great show coming up. We have Dave the Snake Sabo from Skid Row, one of my favorite guitarists of all time. Uh, I love Skid Row from the early days till the current days. And we have another great guest, Mark. Tell us about him.
3: Don Hillier from the band Trauma, and he was a good friend of Cliff Burton from Metallica. He played with Cliff, and we're going to talk to uh, him about Cliff and about the band Trauma, which is after like three decades, yeah, three decades, or close to three decades, back together.
4: Very cool, very cool. slightly
3: new lineup, but yeah, it should be uh it should be great stuff. I'm looking forward to hearing new music by the great cult classic metal band Trauma, which once featured the one and only Cliff
4: Burton and Mark, trauma is from San Francisco, right?
3: Yeah, I don't know if they're still based there, but but they were from that area for sure very cool, yes cool and yeah we'll get off uh, we'll get into the minks again this is called stars i'm not exactly sure who is playing on this it's definitely nikki seven kg those two girls on guitar and emily my wife singing so let's listen to a little bit of this you can buy the track on itunes and then we'll come back and talk with mark striegel and john astronomy
5: I'm in there. it To my dying day, (laughs) stars, guitars, and muscle cars.
3: What you just heard was The Minx, my wife's old band. They haven't been together for a number of years, but that song is called Stars. You can pick it up on iTunes. Let's get into uh, maybe a little Skid Row, John.
4: That sounds excellent.
3: Uh, I mean, I want to play some more obscure Skid Row stuff or Off the Beaten Path or, or not just the hits. However, I just love the hits. and cool. And Snake, who's on the, the show today, I mean, he was he was a big part of those hits. He wrote most of them wow. with... Rachel. I mean, those two guys were the songwriting team, and uh, all the big hits, 90% of all Skid Row's songs come from those two guys. Cool. Very cool. And this is, you can't go wrong with this. This is called Youth Gone Wild
4: by Skid Row on Talking Metal.
6: i man.
3: little skid row on talking metal let's get into the interview with snake let's do this we'll play a little sound sample of new skid row material which you guys can then head over to itunes and buy if it of course is uh, after the release date in august and then we'll get right into the interview <laughs> Hey guys, on the line we have Dave the Snake Sabo. How are you, Dave?
1: Doing really well, bud. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it.
3: Oh, you bet. I was checking out Rise of the Damnation Army: United World Rebellion Chapter Two. It sounds great, man.
1: Thank you so much, man. We had a we had a blast making it. It was uh, it was as far as all the records that I've ever made with Skid Row. This was by far the most fun I've ever had making one. Wow. The whole process was just such a uh, such a joy to be a part of, man. Every everything just fell in line. We were all seemed very much in lockstep from the very beginning of the of the process, and uh, I'm very thankful for that. It was just such a blast, and uh, I'm just we're kind of all chomping at the bit right now because it, it it's finally going to see the light of day in the first week of August, and it's been done for a few months now. So it's only it's difficult to sit there and just sit on it, but. Uh, we had to we had to do it that way because of the be, uh, just logistically working with two different labels, one international, one in North America, uh, just to make sure that they were they were co- uh, on the same page as well and coordinated at the same time. And so the first week of August was the best best time for us to be able to do that.
3: Cool. Now, a lot of the bands that you guys kind of came up with, they've kind of gone to a softer, more stale sound, if you will. But you guys, you still sound so like filled with rage and energy, and I guess young. I mean, it has a young sound to me that, that, when I listen oh, to wow. the the album. Thanks, and how do you how do you stay in touch with that sound, that real sound that you still that you had when you were younger? Our,
1: uh, every time that we go in and, and start working on, on a record. Um, before we even like put pen to paper or anything like that, Rachel and I just kind of just sit down and and, I mean, we talk every day. We've been inseparable for the better part of 28 years. I I know him better than anybody I know in my my entire life and vice versa. So we just sit down and and we start talking and, and uh, talking about the things in life that have been affecting us, you know, personally and, and, you know, overall, and, you know, we we started basically just saying, you know, why, why do we do this, man? Like, what, what's the reason? What propels us to do this? And the answer is is that it, it's that we still, the, the heart and the soul and the spirit of everything, harkens back uh, to when you're a 15-, 16-year-old kid, and uh, for us personally, music was the great escape for us it was the uh, it was our release valve it was the only way we only thing we knew how to express ourselves through was through music we maybe we weren't great verbal communicators maybe we were awkward socially or whatever but that was the one common denominator for the two of us that allowed us the ability to put our thoughts and our emotions into a piece of, of work that turned out to be songwriting and this way released whatever whatever was affecting us uh, to uh, a, a, a deep degree. And uh, we, we started talking about that and in, you know it's weird because when you're a 56 year old kid, the problems that affect you deeply may seem menial at this stage of your life but the force and the impact they have on you are just the same as the, the the problems that you may face today, later on in life. They right. affect you in the same manner. Uh, and it's that, it's the way they impact you that that breathes the songs, the creativity, in order to express that and express how you feel about those certain things and, and to be able to uh, don't get an emotional overload and, and carry, carry this burden on your shoulders without being able to release it somehow. And so we realized that we were, you know, the, the, embodiment, of what we, the embodiment of what we are is, is are those, still those kids. Um, and there's a, uh, there's a, like a purity that goes along with that. Um, songwriting should be and it is for us a very very selfish act and it has to be and that's a good thing because you're not writing for anybody else you're not writing for a trend you're not writing with the hopes of being on pop radio Um, that just was never our thing Uh, we wrote songs because it was the only way again of releasing our angst and uh, our, our emotional instabilities if you will Right. and um, so when we write, we're writing for ourselves first, I and mean, then you hope that it connects with people and Whether it does or doesn't, at least it's never disingenuous it's always pure at heart and with this record Rachel I, you know basically got back to just stripping away life um the the stuff that that convolutes that raw emotion, and you get rid of that. And you shut off the cell phone, and you lock the doors, and you pop open a bunch of beers, and grab a couple guitars, and just start jamming. And just right start on. discussing, having these discussions, and all of a sudden, this this window opens, you know, this creative window opens, and and this time around, it was pretty incredible because we just seemed from the from the moment that light switch went on, it just seemed that we were in we were in lockstep, and and that process lasted all the way through the writing and the pre-production and the recording and the mixing, everything. We had, there was a couple disagreements here and there, um, and it was just simply because we wanted the same things, we just saw it differently. Nothing that was horrible or or mean-spirited or anything like that, antagonistic. It was just a couple things here and there. But for the most part, we were right in line, man. Everybody. Cool. And everybody really came to the table and brought their A game, and uh, so the whole process was just such a such a pleasure. I look back on it so fondly, and I, I hope that we can continue that with the next EP. Um, I think we found something within ourselves that that's going to carry us through um, for quite some time.
3: Well, a couple questions. I, you mentioned the next EP. So how many chapters can we actually expect? Of three. 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 The next okay. one will be
1: the last one.
3: Okay, cool, cool. And why did you choose to do EPs over, like, a full length?
1: So many reasons why. Um, you know, we, we're in an age of in absolute information overload. And processing through all the white noise is, is difficult for everybody. And we just didn't want to overindulge ourselves and uh, browbeat anybody with like 15-track CD or anything like that. We we just don't have those, they, 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 at least people I know just don't have the luxuries of being able to sit down and just just listen to a whole record. It's kind of sad, man, in, in, in reality that we just don't have that time anymore. Life comes at you with some rapid fire speed through from all angles. And, We are constantly being pulled. Life pulls us in every direction imaginable. So we just wanted to create something that was a lot less pressure on us, a lot more fun to do. You go in a studio for a couple weeks, you're done. You go back out on the road and you get to play it. And you hopefully people give it a shot and it leaves them wanting more. And, you know, I, I think that at least for us the days of, uh, making a 14-song a CD and touring on that for two years—those those days are those days are over. We're I believe that we're in, uh, more of a I hate to say, it, but more of a fast food mentality in, in this day and age. So you know, you kind of hit them quick, and you go out, you tour for six, seven, eight months at a time, and go back in, and record more music, do it again. And I think that if you have a constant flow of music coming out, it's always fresh. Uh, it's you're very much in the moment when you're recording and writing it um, and it doesn't lose its fervor. You, you, you kind of don't get browbeaten uh, by being in a studio for months at a time or the audience doesn't get browbeaten by you know 15 songs. We just don't have that luxury anymore in life. Right. Um, it, and I, I hate to say that because I, for me personally, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I can just sit there and lie in my bunk at two o'clock in the morning while I'm on a road and listen to my favorite albums and whatnot, uh, add nausea. And but you know, general public is not afforded that opportunity. A lot of times a lot of times music becomes, um it's background music. Whereas yeah. for us it's it's the fabric of our lives, man. It's it's as important, if not more important than it ever was.
3: Right. Right. Um, a couple great covers on on this EP as bonus oh, tracks, I, I guess. You. And "Rats in the Cellar" just kind of brought me back to hey, us too. to the old days when I first saw you guys live. I think it was on the Aerosmith tour back in January of 1990 at the Spectrum in, you, in Philadelphia. You're
1: right, good memory.
3: Yeah. And how about memories from you about that tour um, with Aerosmith? Any any stories you could share?
1: I mean. Those guys were just, to be, to have that opportunity to, to go out with a band like that, they treated us with such great respect. And they were so kind. And Steven Tyler was just, he like took me under his wing. I became like his little brother. And after every show, pretty much every night, I just go in and hang out with him. And he'd just tell stories. And, and he'd ask questions too, you know, and, and to get to to get to know me and get to know our band better and stuff. And it was just, uh, those those memories for me and those experiences are priceless because here's a guy, an, an absolute global icon, and a legend, and he's having like one on one conversations with me, and wow. you know he's he's sober and 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 I'm sitting there with a a red solo cup filled with Jack Daniels and water, and and he knows it, and and but it doesn't you know, he's not preaching about the the ills of of doing what I was doing. He, he just wanted to tell stories and, and hear stories. And just such a great teacher and, and uh, uh human being. I mean, just he he really showed me and I, I, I'm pretty sure I already knew this, but he kinda of cemented it to me that no matter how big of a, a public figure you may be in in any vocation, um you don't need to be a dick. Right. There's no cause for it. You know, he he showed the 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 great uh character trait of humility to me. And that's something that will never get lost out of me or any of us I think for that matter. And um just watching how he always handled himself and how kind he was to all the people around him. I never saw him be a dick to anybody and uh that says a lot. We spent seven months with those guys. Yeah. Definitely. So that's a lot of time. And uh it was one of the, the, the great, great experiences of my life. Oh, it had such a huge impact on me. Uh, and uh, I'll be forever indebted to all of them for that. Cool.
3: Cool. Nineteen years has passed since the release of Subhuman Race. And, you know, in a, in a way, it wasn't maybe a massive commercial success at the time, but I hear so many people refer to it as a underrated gem nowadays. And I was just wondering how you look back on that record.
1: It was a really trying time, but I'm able to somewhat remove myself from that aspect of it and listen to the record. And it's a pretty cool record. Um, There, some stuff still seems a little unfinished, but for the most part, by and large, I really do like it. Um, I thought that there was a lot of things on there that were were so different for us, and that we just we took chances with. And, um, I knew it was the Kiss of Death. The Rolling Stone gave it a great review. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It, it was comparing it to you know like the, the Sound Garden records and things like that. I knew once that happened, it was the Kiss of Death. But it was a great compliment. But I just knew that we were. It was done. It was a really hard record to make. There was so much uh, tension and turmoil and dissension. And, uh, it was argumentative. and uh, It was just really, really difficult. And uh, it was not a great experience by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so I think when, if, if you asked everybody individually and look back on it, that would play a big part in the formation of... Um, a person's opinion on that time um, you know separating the two taking a look and listening to the record on its own it's pretty cool but uh, the shit that went into the creation of that record was just it was uh, heartbreaking right. to be quite honest
3: right and you know before you guys got back together with, with Johnny I guess what was that like 2002 2003 what what were you up to musically
1: we were doing a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh Rachel Scotty and I had like this side band called Ozone Monday that was more of a like a sort of a, a not a pop oriented thing, but much more mainstream than than uh you know, the direction that we were going with Skid Row and um and uh Rachel was also producing other bands. He was uh, had Prudella Scales, which was his uh another band he had on the side and uh, I had built a studio in my house, so I had uh, I had bands and artists coming down there to do records and stuff like that, and um, I had done some stuff, some soundtrack work uh, for a couple different movies, and um, basically just it was all still music oriented. Um, I guess there was there be no way around that, um, which is great. Right, uh, it's just that, you know at that time. Skid Row needed to needed to be buried up to its neck for a little while. Right on, and uh, not completely buried, just up to its neck, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then get resurrected a little bit.
3: Cool. Well, the new EP sounds great. Johnny's voice is sounding great, and and you guys, like I said, you're just on fire. So I definitely recommend that all the talking metal listeners check out Rise of the Damnation Army, which is Chapter 2 of United World Rebellion. Snake, thanks so much for talking with us.
1: Oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate the time. I really do. It means the world to us, and uh, I'm glad that you like the EP, man. It, uh, it mean, that means a lot to me as well. So uh, I appreciate your support, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see and talk to you soon.
3: That would be great. Are you still living in New Jersey?
1: I actually uh, I live in Long Island now oh, I Long Island. okay yeah I lived in LA for 13 years and I, about two and a half years ago I moved back to uh, the East Coast and I, I couldn't be happier cool I saw I saw your number your go like ah Jersey boy
3: yeah North Jersey yep yep awesome. cool. snake thanks so much
1: thank you brother I appreciate it I hopefully we'll talk to you soon
3: yeah all right bud. bye bye to cry. you just heard was my interview with Snake from Skid Row, and that song right there was called Bonehead, off of the Subhuman Race record, going back quite a quite a bit at this point to the mid-90s.
2: Very, very cool.
3: Let's get into the interview with our main man from Trauma. He is the vocalist. His name is Don, and he was a good friend with Cliff Burton back in the day, and played with Cliff Burton. If you guys haven't heard the reissue of Scratch and Scream by Trauma, it is great. And again, it includes three songs that Cliff played on prior to um, joining Metallica. Now, again, these are the bonus tracks that were on the 2013 re-release of the Scratch and Scream record by Trauma. Cliff was not on the original release back in 1984, but when they re-released it, last year in 2013 they added these three bonus tracks which we talk about in the interview so let's uh, let's do it how about we get into a little classic trauma right now with cliff burton on bass and we'll follow that up with my interview with don hiller
4: perfect right <laughs>
3: Hey, guys, we have Donnie Hillier from Trauma on the Line. Donnie, thanks so much for calling in to Talking Metal.
2: My pleasure, Mark. Thanks for inviting me.
3: You bet. I guess first off, let's check in with you on the new record that you guys announced uh, a few months back. You're doing a brand-new record. How's it going? Is it it recorded? Uh, Where are you in the whole process?
2: Yeah, um, it's, it's completely recorded and mastered. And uh, we signed a deal with uh, Pure Steel Records from Germany and we don't have a release date yet. Uh, the name of the album is Rapture and Wrath nice. and uh, 10 songs and um, we're really, really excited about getting that out and having people listen to new trauma music after decades.
3: Absolutely. And the 10 songs you mentioned, are these all brand new songs that you've written in recent years or is there some stuff that was left over from the old days that you have uh finally re-recorded or updated in some way?
2: Yes, um uh, nothing nothing from the old days. Um I have a new writing partner, a new guitarist in the band, Kurt Fry. He's a he's a veteran of stage and studio and and veteran songwriter and he and I wrote um these 10 new songs. More than that, actually, but all these songs were written in, uh, in 2013, right up till we were recording um, late in 2013.
3: Cool. And that was actually one of my f- questions about Kurt. How did you actually meet up with him?
2: I've known Kurt for a long time. Uh, we played in a band um, after Trauma, Uh, We played in a band for a couple of years, and then um, our drummer, Chris Gustafson, who he and I go way back um, to the Trauma Scratch and Scream album, Chris played in a band with Kurt, and um, Kurt is is pretty well known in the Bay Area um, metal scene, and so somebody that, you know, we just, he's just been a friend for a long time.
3: Excellent, excellent, and what can we expect with the new record sound-wise? Is it a return to that sound you guys had during Scratch and Scream or is it something more modern as far as, you know, hard rock and heavy metal go?
2: Uh, no, I'd say, I'd say it's still the, you know, classic metal. Um it's it's different in that, you know, uh, a lot of time has passed and and um you know, we have the same drummer, same vocalist. So so that's similar. Um I, I would say that I use more range than I did in the scratch and scream days um a wider range uh still you know still the high notes but but um that's k- kind of a different approach there the songs it's uh kind of an eclectic uh, collection of songs, no two songs sound you know quite the same it's not cookie cutter uh that's for sure, but you know it's it's all it's all metal it's all. Driving drums and and uh, screaming guitars, screaming vocals, and and uh, and you know thumping bass, as you can imagine.
3: Yeah, definitely. Now, when you you mention your your range, I mean, back in the day, it sounded like you had a really good range as far as the high notes went. Back then, so I'm assuming you're you're still able to hit all those notes. But when you say wider range, do you do more lower stuff now in addition to the the high stuff?
2: Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't really call it lower, but, um, I, I, w- I, let me take that back. I would call it lower. I wouldn't call it low. It's much, just a little more mid-range, you know, I'm just, just want to uh, take a more dynamic approach. Cool, cool. Um, back in the day, it was all about, well, if you, if you can hit high notes, just hit them, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it was all about, um, you know, doing that. And, and now it's just, it, it's a little more singing and, uh. And but yeah, I still I still have a higher voice than than most certainly than than uh, you know the approach that a lot of people in metal take these days.
3: Excellent. When will I be able to hear this stuff?
2: Uh, I am I'm not sure. We don't have a release date yet. Um, but I will definitely make sure that you know you get a preview of it. Um, of as you can imagine, um, the record company. You know they they want to uh you know manage uh, the promo on that and and or coordinate um with our publicist um scott thomas who who you've interacted with right, right uh so in the meantime you know uh we haven't gotten any kind of green light to let anybody hear it uh, very few people have heard it so far and and unfortunately you know we're excited to get it out there but that that's just the approach that you know a record label will take at this time.
3: Sure, I understand. Uh, of course, I got to travel back in time with you and and talk a little bit about the old days. We're very excited about the new stuff, but of course we got to talk about the old stuff. Going sure. going back last year, the classic. Almost uh, an album that's almost taken on like a cult status through the years. The Scratch and Scream record was, was re-released, reissued, and one of the exciting things about the uh, reissue is it included three additional songs that included your original bassist, Cliff Burton. I, I want to first talk about those three songs. The one song, Such a Shame, is that the same version that was on the Metal Blade, Metal Massacre 2 record?
2: I, I think it is. It's funny that you're asking me the question because I've never thought of that. I, I think it is. Um, I'm sure it is. Uh, we, uh, I, I think we only did one, one set of sessions on that song. That was the first song we ever recorded. That was, um, my, I think, the first time probably any of us were in a recording studio, a real recording studio. And And, uh, then—oh,
3: go ahead. ahead.
2: No, I I was just going to say, I'm I'm pretty sure, Mark, but I've never even thought about that, that there may have been some alternate versions of it.
3: And then there's two other songs, Woman Be Gone and We're Going Off. Were those two songs recorded at the same time as such a shame, or was that a different session?
2: Um, different sessions. Uh Woman Be Gone. Uh we had we had a manager um back in the early eighties and he was kind of a notorious guy. Um one one of the things he did was he built his own recording studio and uh and we recorded one of many versions, different versions of of Woman Be Gone because he saw that as kinda, of, you know, this power ballad. Um, hit kind of thing that's that's that was what he thought of it and so we recorded i don't even know how many sessions of that um uh and so those those were usually done i think in his studio it was called skid row studios in concord california and and i'm sure we did versions um uh, elsewhere i know we did videos of it elsewhere but and then we're going off uh, I think we recorded that in a studio down in L.A., and that's, that's kind of a jam song. And, uh, and the interesting thing about those three cuts is, those, you know, those were really early days. And um, like I pointed out in the liner notes of, of the reissue of Scratch and Scream, you know, our sound was really changing a lot. Right. Um, and because those were really, really early days of heavy metal.
3: Yeah, totally. And the one thing that I found fascinating, and I'm sure maybe other people have picked up on this, at least I assume they have, in We're, We're Going Off, now that, that whole bass jam solo with the drums going behind it in the, in the middle is very similar to what Cliff went on to do with Metallica on a song called Anesthesia Pulling Teeth. Is,
2: That's exactly right.
3: Is that, is that something a lot of people are picking up on?
2: Uh Yes, yeah. I mean, not everybody who, whom I've talked to, but, but a few other people. But yeah, that's that's a very good observation, Mark, and, and you're dead right about that.
3: So that's something that Cliff was basically doing with you guys, and then later it became this, you know, world-famous, almost iconic metal song with, with Metallica.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah, he got out the wah pedal and, uh, and on the the red hair was flying and yeah definitely yeah
3: very cool and
2: it was very cool
3: was like when you guys i don't know if you were involved in the legal ends of getting these three songs released on the reissue but is this something you had to approach like cliff's family about or was there anything like that that had to go on in order for you to release them maybe even approach metallica i doubt you'd have to approach them but you never know
2: um, not Metallica, but um, but um, uh, definitely Cliff's dad, uh, Ray Burton. Um, he remembers us well and um, gave it his blessing. And yes, we did. We did um, want his blessing. We didn't want to do anything without without it. Um, Shrapnel Records uh, and and another member of the band were were the ones that uh, coordinated that with Cliff's dad.
3: Okay, cool. I don't want to make the whole interview about Cliff, but a, a couple more quick questions. When when Cliff left Trauma before you recorded Scratch and Scream, was was it a, a friendly parting, or were you guys? I mean, a lot. I've been in bands, and a lot of times when the bands break up or somebody leaves, you know, you're suddenly not friends anymore, and there's hard feelings. Was was there any of that with Cliff leaving you guys?
2: No, um, there wasn't. As a matter of fact, um, especially a couple of us. We we were we really you know liked Cliff a lot. Um, we were pretty close to him. And actually, um, Mike Overton, the original uh, one of the original guitarists of the band, and and I were we were at Cliff's first gig with Metallica.
3: Oh wow!
6: We,
2: we remained friends. Uh, we. Um, we're backstage with him. The last time we saw him was backstage uh, at the Cow Palace um, when they opened up for Ozzy, and uh, and no, we re- we remain friends. Um, there before he left for his last tour, before he died, Trauma and um, Metallica had had rehearsal rooms side by side for about a week or so um, before they left for that tour, and you know when the we went out for drinks with cliff and and the three of us and uh no we we remained friends and um didn't didn't want to see him go but we respected his decision um it when when he left the band it was kind of an emotional meeting and and uh you know he he said it had taken a year for him to you know want to go in that direction and um you know, so I mean, yeah, Cliff was just such a straight-shooting guy and and just a sincere guy and and uh, somebody we really cared for. So the friendship remained. Um, Mike and I were at Cliff's funeral, and yeah, I, I just have great memories of him and and great thoughts about who he was.
3: And did he leave the band? Was it a musical thing? Was he kind of looking to go in a slightly different direction?
2: I think so. Yeah, um, I, I don't know that he gave us a lot of reason for it, but um, yeah, I think he thought he would he would be, you know, a little more a little more featured and step out a little bit more musically. Ah, okay. Um, you know, we had the two two guitar thing going, and and uh, and so there wasn't a lot of talk about that, but um, uh, I, I think that had something to do with it.
3: And kind of uh, to jump out of history there into the present, you had two guitars going back in the day, but now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys are just a one guitar band, right?
2: Yeah, there's one right now. Um, uh, Kurt Fry is is an exceptional guitarist, and um, we were going to have two guitars. We've you know we've gone through some changes with this lineup already. Um, uh, some people that. That could have potentially been in the band it didn't work out Um, there's there's a possibility of of us maybe having two guitars at some point but right now it's been kind of fun just you know going at it with uh, the power trio with me out front
3: right excellent cool and then back in the day Cliff leaves to go find success with Metallica and you guys had some exciting stuff happen to you you got some new members and by 1984, you had hooked up with the real influential label Shrapnel run by Mike Varney, and you released this this record, which, again, over time has just kind of become a cult classic. And it was called, again, Scratch and Scream, as we've mentioned earlier. Any memories of how you actually ended up hooking up with Mike Varney and the Shrapnel label?
2: Um. I guess I you know, I'm not sure when exactly I met Mike, um but I think it you know, the the scene was pretty pretty active then. I mean we're talking we're talking Metallica, Exodus, vicious rumors, trauma, you know, um bands playing regularly around San Francisco and, and Mike as you say, Mike Mike is very well known and he was writing a an article for um Guitar Player magazine, and you know he he's already been associated with Ingve Malmsteen, and and so I guess at some point he he was seeing us you know playing on the circuit, and um, it, yeah, it's it's funny you ask because I don't really remember how that started.
3: Huh. Okay,
2: and I do you know uh, I I do remember him you know being at gigs and um, and you know previewing um you know our repertoire before we went into the studio at, at rehearsal
3: interesting so earlier in the interview you mentioned that you had done some stuff musically post trauma uh and you know before you guys got back together in in, in recent times so what what are some of the can you review again what are some of the projects and bands you were in in the two to three decades between trauma records?
2: um, For me, um, I was in and and out of of music. Um, I played with Kurt Fry in a band called Heist. Uh, I, you know, did some um, just projects that really never got off the ground. Uh, And then I did three albums with a Bay Area Area band called um, Black Sunday Dream. And, as far as uh, some of the other guys, um, Kurt uh, was—he toured the U.S. With, with Heist. He did an album um, for CBS, I think, and toured with Heist. That's kind of—they were, um, you know, kind of a hard rock band. And and then Chris Gustafson, the drummer, Chris uh, really did a lot of lot of travels. Chris. Uh, did four U.S. tours with a band called Saint Almos Fire. He went to okay. um, Switzerland and played in a band with Mark Kohler from Crocus um, oh, right. called Threat. Uh, and then Chris and Kurt were together in a band called Mechanism. And and their all their ventures. They they did you know some albums together and did a lot of opening shows for some really heavyweight acts, you know, like, you know, the Van Halen and, wow. um, Bon Jovi and Night Ranger. And, you know, just, they did a lot of, lot of pretty good shows. Chris also played with Frank Hannon, um, in a band, uh, called, Moon uh, Moondog Maine. And so, so everybody's been pretty active. Um, we're leaving for Germany in a, in a week and a half for our first European uh, couple of dates in, in Germany. And we have a stand-in bass player. Um, his name is Steve Ribello. And Steve, Steve goes back with Kurt um, and did some tours with him, U.S. tours. And then Steve did a couple of European tours in a band called Dublin Death Patrol and, uh, w- with um, Steve Zetro souza and um chuck billy yeah. from testament yeah, and so steve cool. is is really good friends uh going back a ways and he is going to be playing bass with us although he is a guitarist as well right. um, because our bass, present bass player has um passport problems
3: oh okay all right very good well that's exciting will this yeah. be your first batch of live shows or have you guys been gigging already
2: um, we have done a little bit of gigging. We did, we did um, three, Bay, we've done three Bay Area shows with a, a local promoter. And, uh, and then we've been to Sparks, Nevada, and then to Reno, Nevada, a couple of weeks ago. And, um... We're actually talking with a, a promoter in, in New York City about um, potentially coming to New York, New Jersey and Connecticut. and um, he was suggesting November. That's just at the very prelim- preliminary stages of talking. but um, we've been, you know pretty busy getting the lineup set and uh, writing songs and recording, and we really want to, you know, focus on playing live now
3: great well i'm in new jersey right outside of new york city so if you make a trip out here definitely let me know yeah, i want to be you're there in
2: jersey city new jersey right
3: uh actually yeah my partner john who i do the show with he's uh in jersey city i'm i'm just a few towns over in a town called maplewood about, okay yeah about 17 miles outside of new york city so yeah yeah
2: yeah, yeah cool well it's been yeah, great we, we've we'd be pretty excited about uh, coming to that area. Yeah, it'd be uh, great to have you. uh, And I think um, when we get home from Germany in August, uh, we're going to start rehearsing um, uh, new songs that Kurt and I have been working on. We want to follow this album up up quickly with uh, another album in 2014. Make up for some lost time.
3: Excellent, excellent. And I guess before before I let you go, just one, one final question. Going back to to the '80s, you know, you guys released "Scratch and Scream" on Shrapnel, a pretty prominent label back then, and then you broke up uh, not too long after that. What what happened back then? Why why did you guys call it a day?
2: Yeah. Um, well, we didn't have management at the time, and I and I think that you know that's not not the key reason, but I think that could have held things together a little bit better um uh chris our, our drummer moved to la um w- with his wife who was going to school there and the intention was you know that he'd be home often and we would you know continue but time and distance had a factor there and uh we started our our bass player who was on scratch and scream album um lucas um Kind of became hard hard to locate. I don't know how else to say it, but so we started having kind of a revolving door of of uh bass players and drummers and um you know i, I wanted luke and uh and Chris to be playing those positions and and so things just kind of kind of uh disbanded um the members moved in, uh, out in different directions, um, physically, you know, move, some of them moved out of the area and it just, it became hard to, uh, hard to maintain. Um, we didn't have the internet in those days. Um, didn't realize that, that some people were, um, you know, reviewing the album really well. And, uh, we just had, we had a, a terrible p uh, a non-existent PR machine, I should say. Right. Um, we just weren't very savvy about all that, and and so, um, regretfully, uh, just like I said, didn't didn't have the organization to keep things going.
3: And when did you guys actually call it a day back in the 80s? Was it like 85, 86?
2: Yeah, I think it was a 85. It might have been early 86, but uh, but yeah, it it. You know, in retrospect, it wasn't very that long after Scratch and Scream came out,
3: and it was actually before Cliff passed on too.
2: Um, I, I'm not sure.
3: Yeah. Okay. Just, was just curious if maybe he got wind that you guys had called it a day, and if he had any thoughts on it. But
2: yeah, I, I. Th- no, I don't think so. I, yeah. I think we were still active. Yeah, I'm, I'm very sure we were still active when Cliff, when Cliff passed away.
3: Right, right. Donnie, it's been great talking with you. I love hearing the old stories, and I'm very excited for the new music. So please keep me posted on that, and we're going to get this interview up in the next uh, week, probably uh, maybe even this Tuesday. I'm not, I'm not sure. If not this Tuesday, the following Tuesday.
1: Take your time, Mark.
2: I know that you're. Uh, you, you said some of your interviews are backing up, and um, and thank you very much for inviting me. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope that I meet you face to face. Yeah. Soon. Well. And, uh, and um, you know, I know you and your partner have, have done some great work. You've inter- interviewed some terrific people, so I appreciate all that. and, and again, thanks for your time.
3: Oh, you bet, man. And uh, let's uh, hopefully hang out, grab a beer when you come to a show in the New York, New Jersey area.
2: Please, yeah.
3: All right, Donnie, take care. You too, Mark. Have a great weekend. Bye. Yeah, you too. you just heard was the title track off the 1984 trauma release scratch and scream i'm here in maplewood with john astronomy thanks for making the trip out man
4: hey thanks for having me mark
3: it's uh I love almost it time here. for steaks emily's got them on the yeah, grill yeah i can smell them they're great yeah cool and yeah, it's been great to have John out here hanging with my kids and we checked out Maple Woodstock, which is a little music festival that happens every year here in town. Yeah,
4: Nora Jones is playing tomorrow? Yes, yes. And not heavy metal, but a great artist? That's true. And uh, that's about it. I guess we're I guess we're done.
3: Help support the show, go visit our site go leave us a review on iTunes and what else you can uh, use the Amazon link in today's show notes to make your open up your Amazon and make your purchase. I think most of you guys know how that works and visit talkingmetal.com, visit talkingmetaldigital.com, check out our other podcasts that are part of the Talking Metal Digital family. And that's that. So uh, take care guys and we'll yeah, check thank you, you guys. out. We'll check you out next time.